Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic. Uh, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Matt Barton. Good morning. It's still morning. Um, you know, just to just to refresh everybody who we are and what we do, we're senior lecturers of anatomy and physiology and pathophysiology. we're old and decrepit. And pharmacology. We have PhDs uh, in neuroscience. Uh, not, all, not at all related to blood pressure medications. No, which is the topic of today. Mm. Uh, but we do- Did I spoil that? We do teach many health students though, was, was the point I'm trying to get across. Glad, uh, glad. This is the content that you, the, all these episodes that you listen to, these are the topics that we lecture to at university to health students. Right, nurses, medicos, allied health professionals, and so forth. We teach these aspiring health professionals about these topics, including today's topic, which you so rudely interrupted about. Uh, which is what? Sorry, I forgot what it was. Anti yes hypertensive medications, ah, blood pressure meds, and uh, so I think the best way in, to begin, and I think I, this is how I start every episode. <laughs> is I say the best way to begin, uh, I think, is. To talk about the blood pressure equation. You do that with every lecture? Well, no. I, <laughs> well, if you've listened to the blood pressure podcast and the hypertension podcast, and now you're on the antihypertensives, you're probably aware of this blood pressure equation because we don't shut up about it. Yeah. But for it's those important. of you who haven't listened to the other episodes, blood pressure is a really simple equation. Firstly, to define blood pressure, it is the force that the blood places on the walls of our blood vessels. 
specific. Well, I guess yeah, blood vessels fine. That's all it is. Blood pressure, and yep. we often measure it as the pressure that it places on the walls of our arterial system. Yep. That's how we generally measure it. But there's two values that we measure. There's the top value called the systolic, which is generally about 120 millimeters of mercury and the bottom value, which we call the diastolic, which is about 80 millimeters of mercury. Both those values are indications of the pressure of this blood moving through the vessels. One, the top value, when the heart contracts. So that's Mm. the highest pressure because it's pushing that blood through. Systole. Systole or systole. And then the bottom value is the pressure that continues to propagate through our bloodstream when the heart relaxes. Because the blood vessels are stretchy, under systole, they've stretched out, and then when the heart relaxes, they snap back and continue to propagate blood. That's the diastolic value, yep. the bottom value. All right. So we've got that down pat. That's blood pressure. Now, to figure out this pressure or this force, we need to understand two important concepts, one of which is cardiac output, and the other one is vascular resistance. Mm. Sometimes termed systemic vascular resistance. Or total. Or total vascular resistance or peripheral vascular resistance, but we're just going to say vascular resistance. (laughs) So blood pressure in actual fact is equal to cardiac output times vascular resistance. That's it. That's That's the equation. Done. Easy. But we need to define- Too easy. It is too easy, but we need to define what each are. So firstly, cardiac output. What is that? Very simply put. The amount of blood that comes out of your heart, which is the pump per minute. Easy. Yep. Look at that. And that can be altered by the heart rate. The speed of the heart. And- um, the volume that it ejects with every contraction. Yep. Right? So there's that. Yep. Done. That's pretty easy. The vascular resistance can be a couple of things, but it's the resistance that the blood encounters as it moves through the vessels. So think about what type of things can increase the resistance or decrease the resistance in our bloodstream. Well, what do you think, Matt? The diameter of the pipes. Okay, so if that's narrowed, is yeah. it more resistant? More resistant. Okay. And so if it's dilated or, or relaxed, it's less resistance. Yeah. Okay. So that's one thing that can alter resistance. What else? Um, the thickness of the blood. That's right. So that predominantly has to do with the number of blood cells inside of the blood or a reduced volume of water. Yeah, like if you're dehydrated. Severely. Yeah. Right. And they're the two major things. Now, you can obviously have the length of the blood vessel, but that's not something that we can really change overnight. However, people with a larger body mass have more blood vessels and therefore the resistance is higher because there's mm. more re- vessels to move through. Yep. So that's just one important point. So at the end of the day, the reason why we're telling you this is because when blood pressure is elevated, and to understand that, I recommend you listen to our hypertension episode. Um It's because something has elevated the cardiac output. It might be heart rate has increased. It might be the contractile force has increased. It might be the volume of blood has increased. Or something has increased the resistance in the blood vessel. So the blood vessels narrowed or the thickness of the blood has increased. They're the major points. And the reason why we're saying it is because today we're talking about management of hypertension. Medications. And the medications we can use to lower it. And they all work by addressing one or more of each of those factors. Yeah. Right? Simple. Now, the great thing is there's an easy way for us to remember these antihypertensive medications. And I wonder, and I I didn't know this when I studied this. Yeah. Did you know this? What? This method. Yeah. I did a video on it like a month ago. No, but when you studied it. Uh, the first time yeah. I studied it? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, so no. I thought you meant like, re- like when no, you- No, no, no. Sorry, when, when you were a student, undergraduate student. No, I, I did not know about the A, B, C, D, E of blood pressure. Yeah. 
Now, I did a video on the ABCD of hypertensive drugs, but you've added an E to this one. Yeah. We'll get to that. It's not a mainstream one, but I'll just put it in there. So I'm looking at a piece of paper in front of Matt at the moment, and it's not just A, B, C, D, E. It's A, 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 B, C, D, E. So you've got a couple of A's here. Four A's. Four A's. Yeah. So should we start at the A? Uh, uh, Yep, we can do that. It makes the most sense. It really does, doesn't it, Matt? But I think we should point out here, mm. the way we've categorized this is not based on clinical preference. Good point. It's just by mechanism. And so it's just an easier way to remember the the categories by their mechanism. Yeah, we'll go through the to what we recommend would be the first line, second line, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just us outlining the different options that are available for these yeah. medications. And uh, we will address... Um, preference in regards to what's general gen so it's all about the generalities right every individual is different and the antihypertensive drug that they are prescribed will be relevant to them so we can't say what the best antihypertensive drug is but we can talk about what is generally considered a first line antihypertensive or not. Uh, so just keep that in mind. But like Matt said, we're going to go through the A, B, C, D. It's not in any particular order, uh, but A, what's the first A that you'd like to address? Let's address alpha ones. Alpha ones. So what is alpha one referring to? Well, this is an adrenergic receptor. Adrenergic, did you say? Yeah. Okay. We've done a podcast on this, right? Have we? Yeah, we've done adrenergic receptors. All right. If we haven't, we should. (laughs) Definitely have. Definitely have. So alpha one generally located, not exclusively, but generally located on blood vessels. Yeah. Is that fair? Yes. So if you throw noradrenaline onto the alpha one receptor, it will cause the blood vessels, specifically the arteries to clamp not close, but become smaller in their diameter. Yes. I like to, and it may or may not be the best place to bring this up, but I like to tell students that when you've got the adrenergic system, right? So adrenaline being released either by neurons or through the adrenal gland or whatever it may be, that there's a whole bunch of receptors that adrenaline combine to. There's alpha receptors and beta receptors. And you've got alpha one, Alpha 2, beta 1, beta 2, beta 3. Mm. And I tell students, forget beta 3. It's located on fat cells. Clinically, not super relevant. So you go alpha 1, alpha 2, beta 1, beta 2. And what you can do is you can align them up and say alpha 1 and beta 1, so the ones, when you throw adrenaline at them, they stimulate the tissues that they're located on to do their function, to do their job, right? If you throw adrenaline at the twos, alpha 2 and beta 2, it triggers those tissues to stop doing their function. And both, because it's all associated with the adrenergic system, it's all associated with a fight or flight response. So your body's going to do things to keep you alive in times of stress. And students say to me, what do you mean? I throw adrenaline at alpha 2 or beta 2 and it stops that tissue from doing its job. Why would I want to stop a tissue from doing its job if I'm trying to fight or run away? And I go, well, think about tissues that you need to tell to relax so that you can fight or run away. One of which is your airways. You don't want to stimulate the muscles in your airways to work because that results in constriction, Mm. less oxygen getting in. So you want to tell them to relax. You want to inhibit them so the muscles dilate. Therefore, respiratory airways, musculature, has either be uh, alpha two or beta two receptors. Mm. You can, you can now deduce that, right? 
And the same thing goes for alpha one, beta one, is that the heart, for example, if I want to stimulate the heart, um, it's either going to be, you're going to stimulate it to contract. It's either going to be alpha one or beta one. So at least you can deduce from that. I just want to use that as an aside. Now you said alpha one, so that's stimulate. And you said it's stimulating smooth muscle, in this case on blood vessels. Yes. And so it tells them to constrict, narrow the diameter, increasing vascular resistance, increasing blood pressure. Yeah. So if we have an alpha one- well, the, the, the resistance would be in certain blood vessels, not all of them. Sure. But you know the blood vessels that you don't want to take blood to in this particular time. Yeah. So this would be potentially blood vessels to the gut. All right. Yeah. 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 So- um, so these are antagonistic drugs. Yeah, so these, drug, these drugs block alpha-1 receptors. Right. So therefore, they're going to have a dilating effect on the blood vessels that have an alpha-1 receptor. Decreasing resistance, yep. decreasing blood pressure. Yep. Beautiful. And so these drugs end with the sus- suffix osin. Osin. Yeah. Spell it? O-S-I-N-S. O-S-I-N-S. So they're the osins. Yeah, there we go. All right, okay. So prazosin. Oh, Okay. Can I say it again? Prezosin. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's forte's drug pronunciation. Yeah. So there's um, so the osins are essentially the alpha one blockers. Yep. Okay. They're generally they're not uh, that common in terms of their use for hypertension. Right. They could have other uses. So there's there's some that are used more commonly in um, benign prostatic hyperplasia. Oh. And so this would so not be, prostate cancer, but prostate hyperplasia. Yeah. So these, I think, nearly every single male, male over the age of fifty would start to develop. Yeah. 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 So basically, um, what this drug would do is, um, well, normally the alpha one um, would tell the sphincter to the at the bottom part of the bladder. Sounds to, like the to, beginning of a joke. To close. What does the alpha one say to the sphincter? Close, please. <laughs> <laughs> So if you antagonize this, you open them up. And so one of the side effects for um, a person with um, benign prostatic hyperplasia is they'd have urinary retention. Mm. And so if you can relax that by using this drug, it can help relieve them of urinary retention. Interesting. So So they're the alpha-1 antagonists. Yeah, so um, that's generally how they would work. It's not too technical. No. Um, side effects would be postural hypertension, hypotension. So when you stand up, blood pressure goes down. That would be for all of them, I assume though, right? Postural hypertension. If you're using an antihypertensive drug- I think some worse than You've got to be careful with the dosage and your positioning and things yeah. like that. Um, and because we've just spoke about them relaxing the sphincter, you can develop something called stress incontinence, which is you kind of get- leakage when you increase intra-abdominal pressure, like coughing, laughing. Bladder leakage. Yep. Because you just lost that um, sphincter control. Gotcha, because it's uh, dilated. And it's also potentially leading to impotence, which I think is more to do with- Sympathetic. Yeah, sympathetic. sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, Because of the effect it has on the seminal tract, but possibly also the blood flow to maybe to the penis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because generally parasympathetic is erection. Yeah, it's good. So the ejaculation more, is finishing. sympathetic, finishing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it's a good place to finish for that. So, <laughs> so that's the alpha one. That's alpha one. So what's another A that we can look at? So then we can move into the the kidney ones. So these are the essentially working in the RAS system. The RAS, Matthew? Yeah. The RAS? The renin angiotensin aldosterone system. Do we I guess we have to go through this very briefly. Let's um I guess we do. All right. So uh, can I do it? 
because yep. I do it all the time. You, it's your favorite, one yeah. of your top five favorite systems, isn't it? All right, let's see how quickly I can do it, all right? So we know that your kidneys need to get 20% of that cardiac output every minute. So that's one liter of blood every minute needs to go to the kidneys. Of that one liter, it needs to filter 120 milliliters every minute. So that's what the kidneys must do in order to maintain that your blood has the right things in it and all the wrong things are taken out of it. So filtration. If that blood pressure or the d- blood volume drops going to the kidneys, the kidneys are sensitive to that because it means it won't filter properly. So the kidneys have a response mechanism and that response mechanism is the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Firstly, if the blood pressure is low and the blood volume is low, it triggers the release of a hormone called renin. That's the first thing. So now we've got renin floating through the bloodstream. The liver will produce and release something called angiotensinogen. Now in the name, angio, blood vessel, tensin, pressure, O-G-E-N, it's not doing anything. That's what O-G-E-N means. It's just stored and inactive. So it's a blood pressure chemical that's not doing anything. It needs to be activated. Renin activates it, chops it up, chops off the O-G-E-N, and now it's called angiotensin. Angiotensin 1 doesn't really do much. But as it's floating through the bloodstream, it comes across, it goes through the, the vascular supply for all these different tissues. Now, when it gets to the lungs, the lungs tend to produce a whole bunch of this uh, enzyme called angiotensin converting enzyme, also known as ACE. And it does what it says it does, converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. And now we've got angiotensin 2. That does all the important functions that we're after here. Remember, the stimulus was a drop in blood pressure or a drop in blood volume. Angiotensin 2, its job is to counteract it. So it does a couple of things. First thing is that it's a generalized vasoconstrictor. Constricts veins, constricts arteries. All of this increases resistance, increasing blood pressure. Tick, maintaining homeostasis. It also goes to the adrenal gland and triggers the release of aldosterone, which goes back to the kidneys, increases the absorption of sodium, reabsorption, I should say, of sodium back into the blood. Wherever sodium goes, water follows, increasing blood volume, increasing blood pressure. Tick, homeostasis. It also goes to the hypothalamus to trigger the release of antidiuretic hormone, ADH, also known as vasopressin by the Americans. Yankees. Oh, I don't know if we can say that. Uh, And what that does is goes to the kidneys as well and increases the reabsorption of water directly. So it works similar to aldosterone, except just bypasses the sodium reabsorption. Um, and then um, what else does it do? I think you've done it all. Pretty much it? Okay, cool. I mean, it changes, angiotensin 2 also changes the vasculature in the kidneys. Yes, that's very true. Uh, increasing the pressure at the kidneys. All right, so that's the system. Renin, angiotensin, aldosterone, right? Now- Two of these next ones that we're going to talk about. That's basically with a. three. Basically three. Okay. Three. All three. Are- um, to some degree come off this RAS system. Perfect. Yep. So let's do the first one that you've got there. So the first one is, goes to the ACE enzyme. Okay. And inhibits it. So angiotensin converting enzyme, I said, predominantly produced by the lungs, converts angiotensin one to angiotensin two, just stops it. Yep. So that means we don't get. Angiotensin 2 made. Yep. So all of those downstream effects to boost blood pressure don't happen. Pretty no much. No generalized vasoconstriction, Pretty no much. aldosterone release, no ADH release. Yep. Okay. So these, cool. these group of drugs end with the suffix prill. They're the prills. The prills. All right. So the first one that was 
discovered, created, I guess, was Captopril. Yeah. Um, but not that commonly used anymore because it's got a very short half-life. You need to take it multiple times a day. Oh. So it's not as common as an Alanapril, which is the one that's probably more commonly used. Isn't there a Veramapril as well? Yep. There's, there's probably a whole, there's a whole group okay. of them, but um, the, the, the later ones probably have a longer action and therefore not needing... Um, such amount of dosages. Now, it might be reasonable for somebody to say, wouldn't these only work if it is a RAS-induced hypertension? Um, And most people have an essential or primary hypertension, which Mm. means we don't know what the cause is. So it might be something happening at the kidneys. We don't know what or why. Um, And again, this drug may be utilised and if the blood pressure drops, we'll be. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, some... Um, primary hypertension might be more as a result of excessive renin release. And so these drugs might be more beneficial there than some that um, may not be induced by a renin hyperactivity. So therefore other um, drugs that we're going to talk about may be more effective. Do you know why we don't have, so we've got an ACE inhibitor, right? And the other two we're going to talk about inhibits other parts of this pathway, but there's no renin inhibitor. No, there is. There is. There is. Okay. How come it's not utilized? Oh, I don't think it's overly effective. Gotcha. Uh, it's called alisocrine. Alisocrine. Yeah. Okay. So it does inhibit. Okay. Cause I always thought that cause it's just like, well, we've got all these other downstream inhibitors. Why yeah. don't we just inhibit the source? Yeah. But I suppose we either can't make a drug that does it well enough, I suppose. Yeah. Right. I, did, I didn't explore it too deeply, but there is one that does it, but um, it's not commonly used. So anything else about ACE you'd like to talk about? Uh, it seems to be more effective at the vessels. So this would be um, capacitor and resistant blood vessels. So these would be vessels at kidney, brain and heart. So they seem to have a more powerful um, dilation effect there. And is that because of the angiotensin 2 inhibition? Could be, but also there's, uh, there's some other things that um, result from this medication, one being bradykinin. Right. So did you come across that at all when you did one of your recent videos on blood pressure? No. No, you didn't come across bradykinin. Apart from the fact that bradykinin's released to vasodilate. Yeah. Um, uh, so it could, it could have an effect there. I mean, um, there would be a whole bunch of ACE receptors, yeah. right? So obviously ACE receptors are going to be present all over the place and one of which is going to stimulate the conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2, but there's going to be a whole bunch of other effects of ACE. Yeah, I think, right? but, but I think one of the effects being bradykinin being released from this particular um, classification of drugs. Mm. And so by having more bradykinin present within blood vessels, presumably this is maybe where you have a greater effect in the blood vessels of kidney, brain and heart, but you also have more bradykinin um, present because you mentioned that ACE is um, probably more abundant, let's say, in the vasculature of the lungs. And so this bradykinin in the lungs is one of its common side effects being a cough. So is it to, is it to counteract ACE? Because bradykinin dilates and ACE is going to- I think it's just strict. I think it just comes about by the, I I don't know, the presence of this drug um, just for some reason increases the amount of bradykinin. Interesting. Because I know that, so this is ACE1 that we're referring to, right? There's there's, there's other ACE versions, isoforms, whatever, like ACE2. And ACE2 is actually the receptor for COVID-19. And what ACE2 does is it does the opposite of ACE1. 
So while ACE1 in this conversation okay. increases blood pressure through this RAS pathway, yep. ACE2 reduces blood pressure. That's its job. And so there's been questions about uh, COVID-19 binding to ACE2 and having various effects and whether that affects the blood pressure as well and whether people on antihypertensive drugs need to be careful about COVID-19 or not. So far, it doesn't seem to be a relationship there, but that was a, an initial thought. Okay. All right, so that's ACE. So just with the side effects, the most common ones, cough is a significant side effect associated with this drug. Because of the bradykinins. Yeah. So and, histamines, bradykinins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's thought that this is probably one of the main reasons for why it's discontinued because of the chronic cough. And I actually think if patients present to a general practitioner with a chronic cough, one of the first questions would be if you are on an ACE inhibitor. Um, yes, yes, yes. Some people can go into more serious uh, bradykinin-induced effects, and so they can get angioedema. Yep. So that's kind of probably a, an early kind of hypersensitivity condition. Yep. Um, like you said, hypotension is a particularly on the early first dose uses of this drug. Um, you can get quite a big drop in blood pressure. Yep. Um, and the effect of the kidney can cause proteinuria. Right. So, that's, so, so the ACE inhibitors can increase bradykinin release. Yeah. The ACE inhibitors specifically. Yeah. Not ACE itself, but ACE inhibitors. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, interesting. So now we're still staying on the A's. All right. We're going slightly d- downstream a bit. Yeah. Um, so now we go to the angiotensin 2 receptor blockers. All right, same pathway, different part of it. So- what do you call these? ARBs. ARBs. Okay. Angi- angiotensin, receptor angiotensin 2 receptor blockers. Okay. So angiotensin 2 is made now, but we're blocking its ability to bind to its receptors. My assumption would be these receptors are on the vasculature, mm. uh, parts of the nervous system, and parts of the kidneys, which makes sense because it's going to like adrenal glands because it releases aldosterone. It goes to the brain, release hypoth- the uh antidiuretic hormone, a vasopressin, and it goes to the blood vessels to constrict. So these are air, my assumption is that's where these ARBs work yeah. predominantly. Yep, yep. And all of which are obviously going to reduce blood pressure. Yep. Okay. And these uh, end with the suffix sartan. Sartans. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So cool. these might be used after an ACE inhibitor if you were to get these side effects. So you wouldn't get the chronic cough with these sartans. Because it's downstream. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what I came across, one of the c- common uses for these would be for younger people that seem to have uh, hypertension that may be associated with high renin release and also um, people who have hypertension with diabetes. These uh-huh. drugs seem to, to be, you know, useful in those particular categories. Interesting. Um, two main Condition, sorry, considerations with the use of these. One being, again, you get that kind of hypotension reaction, yeah. but also it is um, tetragenic. So oh. it would be not advised to take it during pregnancy. Oh, it can, oh okay. It can induce. Teratoma. Yeah. yeah. Well, not ter- teratoma. It's just inducing the likelihood of having um, birth defects and um, issues with the embryo developing. Oh. Okay, there yeah. you go. Yep. All right, so that's the ARBs. That is those that end in uh, Sartan. Yep. Uh, is there another A? This is our fourth A? Well, you could probably put this one. You could. You Here we go. Matt's screwing the whole thing. You, what is it? You could technically put this into the diuretics. Right. But it's around aldosterone. Okay. So it's basically an aldosterone blocker. 
Okay. Okay. So, so now we're even further downstream on the RAS system, yeah. and our dostran has been released. Goes to the distal convoluted tubule, increases the reabsorption of sodium back into the blood. Water follows. Blood volume goes up. Blood pressure goes up. So if we stop that, we stop blood pressure from going up. Yep. So this one um, is sometimes referred to as the potassium sparing diuretics. What's its name for this? Oh, spirulactin. Yeah. Spirulactin. The spirulactin is a common example of this type of. Um, drug mechanism. So right. it's an aldosterone blocker. So it, like you said, it has an effect at the bottom end of the um, nephron. Yeah. But sometimes it's referred to as a potassium sparing diuretic because the other diuretics that we'll get to actually expel potassium into the urine. This one doesn't. And so is this it, because generally sodium is exchanged for potassium in this area? Yeah, that's uh, right. So when we reabsorb sodium into the body, potassium gets excreted. But if we're blocking that, yep. sodium gets absor- uh, excreted and potassium and gets And that would be its diuretic component. Yeah. Um, because okay. we pee out sodium yeah, and the and water, the water goes. But, but it's not a huge diuretic. It's not like a loot diuretics we're going to get to. Yeah. But it could be just enough for that effect. Yep. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's not, it's not a huge, strong, powerful diuretic, but it can have a... An, a benefit in that sense. Cool. Um, some of the, the the effects of this it would be because aldosterone also seems to run similar with the androgens, so you can get certain effects like that you would see with the androgens on the body. So androgens are male sex hormones, yeah. and that that's not a surprise because both are released by the adrenal gland. Yep. Okay. So it, impacting them with the way that the receptors works for the androgen, particularly. Um, progesterone as well. Right. Um, so impotence could be one or gyna, gyna- Clemasia. There we go. So that, that's due to the- The similarities. Blocking. That's due to the, the this ver- this antihypertensive. Yes, yes. The similarities with the way that receptors work for androgens. So B, we're up to B. Uh, we've done the A's, there's four A's. We're up to B. What's the B? These will be Come the- Come on B, what's B? This what's is going to be the- Beta blockers. Right. Okay. So we spoke about alpha-1 antagonists straight up, which are adrenergic receptors. Yep. Beta blockers are the beta version. So beta-1, beta-2. So it blocks those. Essentially should be beta-1 receptor blockers. So beta-1 specific. Well, they should be, but there are going to be non-specific beta blockers. Okay. So let's just go back. The beta receptors- I said early on in this podcast that if it's alpha one, beta one, that you throw adrenaline at it, it stimulates the tissue to do its job. If it's alpha two, beta two, throw noradrenaline at it, it inhibits the tissue from doing its job. And we just said now that non-specific or non-selective beta blockers, if you throw noradrenaline, well, if you throw the beta blocker at them, it's going to inhibit them. So it's going to inhibit beta one, and it's going to result in an activation of beta two in a way. So, so, oh, what, yeah, so what okay. I mean, okay. So because I'm using double negatives. Yes, here. So let me just give you an example. Beta one is located on the heart. You throw noradrenaline at it, the heart rate increases. Makes sense. Yeah, it's yep. stimulating the tissue. Beta two is located on the muscles of the airways. Throw noradrenaline at it, it Dilates. inhibits them from con- contracting, so they dilate. Yeah. Now, if you throw a beta blocker at both of these, yeah. throw a beta blocker at beta one, the heart's going to relax because it's blocking that stimulatory effect. Mm. If you throw a beta blocker at beta two, 
Well, it's blocking the inhibitory effect, which results in an activation. Yeah. So the muscles in the airways constrict. So one of the downsides of the beta, the, the, the non-selective beta blockers. So these are the OLs? The, the LOLs? I or, say LOLs. Is the, it OLs? OLs or LOLs. Okay. So it's the funny one. So the beta blockers are the funny ones. They're the LOLs or OLs. So a non-selective would be propranolol. Propranolol. Yep. So technically, because you are blocking the- um, the beta two, yeah, which is the bronchodilation, yeah, you could induce bronchoconstriction, which may not be good for somebody with a respiratory. Yeah, disorder. so people who question, arguably have respiratory challenges like asthma, or let's just say unstable asthma and COPD, these drugs, non-selectives, would be um, condition no cautioned against. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay. Okay. But you may not have a so, but there's also selective beta yeah. blockers. So this would be and like an a tenol beta one selective. Yeah. Makes no sense if it's beta two selective, right? All right, so it's a beta one selective. I think there is beta two specific blockers. Uh, what about, uh, no, you're right. What would be the purpose of that? Why would we want to constrict the airways? Um, so uh, what are those ones called? What are the beta one selective ones called? An example? Yeah. A tenolol. A tenolol. And what was a non-selective? Propanolol. Gotcha. All right, cool. And so they the, just work through the adrenergic receptors. But interestingly, I came across this with a bit of, with some of the research is you would have thought um, that say the non-selectives would be advised against in say an unstable asthma, which you literally just said, yeah. Yeah. but they've, they're exploring it in stable asthma as being a benefit. Why? How? That's as far as I got. <laughs> oh, but, but if you're in the lead, so if you um, have an asthma, an asthmatic state, but it's not, it's well controlled, then the use of a non-selective seems to be not such a bad thing, opposed to an individual that would have very poorly managed up and down um, episodes. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, so what else do you have about the uh, beta blockers? Well, then you can get further non-selective beta blockers, which then have other different effects. So you can get some like beta- off target effects. Yeah. You can get some beta blockers that also um, block the alpha ones. Oh, gotcha. And so that not only has a heart effect, but then it has the blood vessel effects what you saw in the alpha ones. Yep. But then there's also beta one blockers that seem to increase nitric oxide release. Oh, okay. And so then they have that vasodilatory yeah. effect. Yep. Very cool. But these would have, oh, look from my research, they're not, as heavily relied on as they once were for hypertension. No, I'll tell you why. The only thing I'll add to that is it seems that these drugs are more effective in hypertension that's um, like stress-induced yeah. or excitable hypertension. Yeah. So um, 
I don't know. In, Anxiety. In, yeah. Associated. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's more effective there than a person that may not have that. Yeah. Well, beta blockers are also anxiolytic, right? Yeah. So they're used yeah, as a, one of its off uh, off label effects is that of an anti-anxiety medication. Um, one of the reasons why it's not a first line antihypertensive is a large study was performed and it seemed that the beta blockers were simply just less effective at being protective um, of cardiovascular events like of associated with hypertension in people over 60. So basically they, they looked at all these people of varying ages who are on antihypertensive drugs uh, and then had a look at their likelihood of uh, mortality over a particular time frame, and then they real or having a particular cardiovascular event and they're like, oh, they're all protective but the beta blockers were less protective in the population over 60. Okay. So that's why it's not, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that it wasn't as protective as the others. Right. right? Okay. So that's the beta blockers. So yeah. B. Some of the side effects, just quickly to run through. We've already spoke about the airway issues. So that's one consideration. Supposed issues. Well, again, patient with COPD, unstable asthma, you'd be advised against using beta blockers for. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least non-selective. Yep. Um, bradycardia, because that's the effect on the heart. Um, hypoglycemia. Mm. General well, general fatigue. Should we also say that the the these beta one receptors are located yeah, in other other regions of on the, the SA node and the AV node. Yeah. So heart rate or conductance, but also on the myocardium. Yeah. So, so what are those two things referred to? The chronotrophic and the inotrophic effect. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So timing and force, which will come into when we get to the C's as well. Uh, and the final. Well, I'm sure there's many more side effects, but the other one I've got down here would be cold extremities, which presumably comes from the way that the blood flow is to you know, the fingers and the toes and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Done? Done, Done. with these? That's right. Okay. Let's, let's do C. C's. There's technically two, oh, but we'll we start go. with one. Okay. <laughs> what is it? Well, C for calcium, mate. C for calcium. I, when I think calcium, I always think contraction. Bones. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I think contraction. Uh, I, Milk. You, okay, maybe. But I think contraction. All right? Okay. Don't try and change my mind. C for contraction, C for calcium. Uh, when calcium enters a cell, that cell contracts if it's a contractile cell, right? Yeah. And so the importance here is that obviously if calcium enters a myocardial cell, so heart muscle cell, that heart muscle is going to contract harder. Yep. And so if you block calcium, you block the strength of the contractile force. And we know in our blood pressure equation, if you reduce the contractile force, you reduce the blood pressure. So this is just very broadly one of the mechanisms of the calcium antagonist. Is it calcium blocker or calcium antagonist? Calcium channel. Calcium channel blockers. blockers. Um, or antagonists. Or antagonists. Uh, but they also have an effect at the blood vessels as well. Yeah, there's, so there's two categories. So there's the dihydropyridines. Pyridines and the non-dihydropyridines. Yep. Now, from memory, correct me if I'm wrong, the dihydropyridines work at the heart and the non-dihydropyridines work at the vasculature by blocking calcium. Yeah, I can't remember. I think that's how it is. I think the dihydropyridines... Stop calcium at the heart, reducing contractile force, reducing blood pressure, and the non-dihydropyridines stop calcium influx at the muscles of the blood vessels, stopping uh, the 
vasoconstriction. Yeah. Um, Which results in the dilation. Yeah. And resulting in reduced resistance, reduced blood pressure. Yeah. So the the more specific ones, which are the blood vessels like nifedipine, or, or should I say the suffix is pine. Pine. And the reason for that like is- Chris Pine, one of your uh, favorite actors. Really? You, you don't know well, what he's in. Well, he's a politician. Christopher Pine. <laughs> yeah, maybe he is. <laughs> well, isn't, there, isn't there an actor called Chris Pine? Isn't he the guy that's in uh, Star Trek and Wonder Woman? I don't know. Oh, you, you don't watch you movies. St- you stole my thunder. I was going to come up with some stupid thing like- um, it's named after pine cones because <laughs> they're full of calcium. And then you would have, then you would, then you would have said, exactly. You would have said, are they? And I said, of course not. But now you've remembered them. <laughs> That's Chris Pine. Okay. I've just showed Matt a picture of Chris Pine. That is an actor. You've seen him before? Uh, yep, okay, look, yep, everyone, yep. Matt is lying. He's never watched a movie in his entire life. I watch all these but, but that- Marvel movies and Matt's never seen. Have you seen one Marvel movie? Yeah, I think Which I one? saw it on a plane. Which one? Um, one with Thor in it. <laughs> Maybe like 15 with Thor in it. Anyway, it's a bit of a digression. So pine, they, the, the suffix the is pine. pine. And okay. so the specific ones like nifedipine, yep. nifedipine. Yeah. I say peen. Do you say pine? <laughs> nifedipine? I say nifed- pine. I say nifedipine. nifedipine. And I tell That's- people that the suffix is pine. Yeah. <laughs> That's specific to vessels. Okay. And then you have- so that's a non-dihydropyridine? And then you have the verapamine, which is both heart vessels. You're doing really well today. I'm terrible with, the, with, with the medication. medication. Yeah. Gen, like generally, yes, but I think you're doing quite well today. So that's more non-selective, that one. Yeah. Uh, and that's, so that's heart and vessels, right. but then you're more likely to get um, further side effects from that one, like um, constipation. Oh, because you're stopping the peristalsis. Yeah, the you, calcium in the smooth muscle. See, of, see there's all these off-target effects yeah. like calcium going into the muscle of the bowel, which helps move poop through. Yeah. If you stop that, you stop the poop moving through, constipation. Which is not what you want. Generally not. Other no. side effect of the calcium channel uh, blockers would be ankle swelling associated with edema. Why? Why would there be edema? Um, whether there's retention from the way other vascular changes, I'm not sure. That's me. Uh, hypothesizing, making stuff up, huh? Yeah, yeah. Does it have? Does it, from the top of your head, does it have an effect with um, venous, the venous um, constriction? Oh, I assume so. They've got smooth muscle, not, so, not as much, so, but it would work via calcium. So I'm I just don't know tr- if the receptors I'm just, are the I'm same. I'm just trying to make sense of that ankle swelling. Mm. Presumably, if it's stain within the tissue. Could it be the fact that you've got normal venous return, but the heart is contracting uh, less efficiently and maybe you have more fluid accumulating in the venous supply and that results in an increase in hydrostatic pressure pushing fluid out? Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, we're we're hypothesizing on this part of the- (laughs) Not the whole podcast. Not the whole podcast. Okay, the other C, just to- Um, Are you happy- Done with calcium yeah, channels. Pretty good with that. Okay. The other C that we could add, it's a bit of a stretch. Oh God. Because you could probably argue it could go into X. the A's. Oh really? But I'm gonna pull it the C. Just what does it start with? That's all we care about. It's the central actin uh, adreno <laughs> receptor ag- antagonist. What is that? Central acting adreno receptor. Antagonist. So, so to be technical, it's an alpha two agonist. Here we go. So that's an A, but alpha two is presynaptic postsynaptic. Correct. Sympathetic neurons. Presynaptic. Yep. 
and it inhibits yep. it from sending another sympathetic. Correct. It's basically the self-regulatory right. mechanism for sympathetic. And then, neurons. and because it's centrally, these. You're pre- dodgy. Did you make that up? Or did no? It's it's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, a central actin uh, adrenergic receptor block. I would. I would look. How come you didn't do? Uh, okay, fine, 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 fine. We can do alpha if you want, but anyway, um, bit essentially, now, <laughs> essentially what it, it is, is an alpha two agonist. And like you said, the alpha two receptor is located on the presynaptic pre terminal. And so if you agonize that, you kind of downplay the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Cause it's two alpha two. It results in the inhibition of that tissue. And in this yeah. case, the tissue is a sympathetic neuron. So it stops it from releasing any more noradrenaline. So stopping any <coughs> downstream sympathetic yeah. effect. So clonidine is a good example of this drug. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one is methadopa. Uh, so is clonidine used as an antihypertensive? It can do. It's not- Not generally not, not, used for that. Also migraine. Yeah. Did you use it when you had bad migraines? Yes. Clonidine? Yes. Did it help? Uh, yeah. Okay. But it's- um, That's because of its- I thought it was because of its vascular effects- but I could be wrong. Should probably have looked into that. Not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure um, how the downstream effect is. Does being- clonidine have dopaminergic action? Well, the other one is methyl dopa, which is a pro drug that gets converted into methyl noradrenaline. But again, I didn't get a great deal more than that. Um, they're not heavily used as antihypertensive medications, but yeah. the clonidine was seems to be associated with migraines. Uh, in terms of its use, okay. um, the side effects seem to, to some degree, outweigh potentially its use. So, yeah. heavy drowsiness, orthostatic hypo, hypotension, and weight gain. Yeah. So, it wasn't again a, a first line. But you could either put that into the A's. Remember, it's an alpha two agonist. You can put it into the A's, or I just called it a central actin because it acts on the the first neuron yeah. in the sympathetic. I didn't use. I just checked. I didn't use clonidine. Okay. For my migraines. It was something else. All right. So D, are we up to D? Diuretic? D's, diuretics. Okay. Diuretics. Um, Two main ones here. Really? Because we already did the, we did the um, aldosterone block of the spirolactones. Yeah. So I thought, all- now, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that the major diuretic that's utilized for, as an antihypertensive are the thiazide and thiazide-like diuretics. Are there others? Yeah. Loop diuretics can be also used, but again, they're not- uh, because line. they're so powerful, they're probably going to have um, drawbacks by because they're such a a powerful in diuresis. You're going to have side effects. So maybe if it's hyper hypertension with other things like maybe edema or heart failure, then maybe this medication could be used. Right. And I think this is what goes back to what you said earlier that the choice in these drugs could be a combination of which is effective to reduce blood pressure, but also with the specific to the patient. So if the patient had other comorbidities, it may be worth considering using a particular drug for the kind of do mm. two at once. So just remember that a diuretic increases urine output. Mm-hmm. That's its job. Um, and therefore decreases the volume of fluid in the body, i.e. the blood, and decrease in blood volume decreases blood pressure. And generally, 
the diuretics work by increasing not just the output of water directly, but it increases the urinary excretion of ions. So charged atoms or elements like sodium and potassium and magnesium and chloride and so forth. Predominantly sodium. So if it increases their excretion, water just follows. Water just gets pulled with it through osmosis. Right? And then that increases the uh, urinary output, decreasing blood volume. So in, in this case, one of the most ef- effective for hypertension um, is the thiazide and thiazide-like diuretics, which tend to work at the distal convoluted tubule from memory. And should I talk about how it works? Yes, please do. Okay, so you should always remember that every cell of the body has a sodium-potassium ATPase pump. Its job is to throw three sodium. Now remember, sodium has a positive charge. Throws three sodium out of the cell back into the blood, in this case, and two potassium into the cell. So we're talking about the cells of the tubules of the nephrons, right? And there's a couple of different options for where these cell, where these ions go. So if they're in the tubule, they're destined to be excreted out of the body. So if it's in the tubule, think about it as outside the body. If it's in the bloodstream, think about it as inside the body, right? And then the cell is basically in between those two environments. So you've filtered your blood, you've got all of these ions moving through the tubules destined to be peed out. Mm -hmm. But as it comes across the distal tubule cell, so one of the cells right at the very end, it notices that this cell has no sodium in it. And the reason why is because the sodium-potassium pump has thrown the sodium out into the bloodstream, but thrown potassium from the bloodstream into the cell. But the cell's void of sodium. So sodium goes from the tubule, destined to be peed out, back into the cell. And then from the cell, the sodium-potassium pump throws it back into the body. Brilliant. We've just reabsorbed our sodium, right? Now, the thing is that the way the sodium gets from the tubule into the cell isn't by itself, Chloride piggybacks with it. So it's a sodium chloride co-transporter. So now I've got chloride into the cell and chloride will move through a chloride channel to go back into the body. Brilliant. We've now got sodium chloride back in the body. Now at the same time, there's a calcium channel and calcium will move from the tubule into the cell and then calcium will move from the cell back into the body or back into the blood by exchanging with sodium that's in the blood. And that's fine because we've just absorbed a whole bunch of sodium back in the blood. So calcium goes back into the blood or body, but sodium goes back into the cell. But that's okay because the sodium potassium pump throws it back out again. So we've just reabsorbed sodium. We've just reabsorbed chloride. We've just reabsorbed calcium. All right. Now, here's the thing. The thiazide and thiazide-like diuretics, they work by blocking the sodium chloride co-transporter. Now, what that means is <clears throat> the, that cell has no sodium in it. Mm-hmm. So the sodium-potassium pump, it works, but it throws out all the sodium that's available in cell, inside the cell and no sodium is moving into the cell because that channel's blocked. But the sodium-potassium pump always needs to work. And it's going, hey, there's no sodium inside the cell. That means I can't throw potassium back out. What can I do? But there's the calcium-sodium exchanger. And it is throwing calcium out and throwing sodium back in to replenish it just so that pump can work. But in order for that pump to work, that calcium-sodium exchanger needs to work overtime to keep replenishing that sodium back into the cell. And in doing so, it throws way, way, way too much calcium back into the body. 
And the side effect here by blocking this channel is one, the sodium stays in the tubule and we pee it out. Water follows. That's the diuretic effect, reducing okay. blood volume, reducing blood pressure. But a side effect is we reabsorb more calcium. And that means this particular antihypertensive drug might be useful for people who not just have hypertension, but also have osteoporosis, oh, increasing wow. the available calcium for their bones and blood. Okay. Hopefully that made sense to the people and they didn't switch off. <laughs> the other thing I'll just add to these um, thiazide-like diuretics, um, obviously in the short term, they're going to have the diuretic effect of lowering blood pressure, which is decreased blood volume, decreased stroke volume, therefore decreased cardiac output, therefore decreased blood pressure. Yep. But this seems to drop off fairly rapidly and there is a- As in the body sort of hits this, ho- it sort yeah, of responds right. to this and goes, yeah, I'm not going to maintain this. So there seems to be a secondary effect with thiazide diuretics and that's a, a vasodilating effect. So it, it has an effect on the peripheral vascular resistance. Cool. So that's yeah. an additional. So that's, um, and like you said, some side effects being um, with the calcium, but you also you are going to be losing potassium with this partic- particular type of t- diuretic. Yes. Um, and that's and- because that sodium potassium pump, as it's throwing sodium back into the body, it's pulling the potassium back into the cell, yep. which then moves through diffusion back into the tubule yep. and you pee it out. Yep. Uh, and then you go to the other type of diuretics, which is the loop diuretics. And they're um, in the ascending part of the loop. So yep. we go down to the bottom of the loop of the nephron and then start to go back up. So there's some channels there which have two, they reabsorb two chloride, one sodium, one potassium. Yep. And so it, because it's sucking in a lot of ions, it's also going to pull water with it, but because you're blocking it with this diuretic, and the example here is a furosemide, um, you're going to leave uh, a lot of molecules, a lot of ions in the tubule, therefore a lot of water will stay with it, and that's why it's a powerful diuretic. Yep. So in this case, and this is probably why it's not used um, – in isolation for hypertension without other things is because you get the likelihood, particularly with elderly people with hypovolemia and therefore hypotension uh, and then the hypokalemia because you're getting rid of potassium. Yeah. Um, so that's really the diuretics. So do you that's have a D? Do you have any to add? Not for diuretics. And then E, the one that you've added on the end here. So this is... This is really stretching the friendship, I think. Um, uh, this is working around endothelium. In our or ABCD endo- or our friendship? Uh, both. Right. Not it's endothelium. What is it? a friendship to begin with. Endothelin. Endothelin. Which is released by endothelium. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so this does what? Uh, di- uh, constricts blood vessels. Okay. So you need to – so there's actually – when you think about vasodilation, vasoconstriction of Obviously, and this isn't, isn't this the most powerful one? Yeah, that's it. So the most powerful or potent vasodilator is nitric oxide. Okay, and the most potent vasoconstrictor. And you give that. You could give that when someone's having like an angina effect, uh, outcome. Yep. You give them a drug that induces nitric oxide. Yeah, and that dilates particularly the coronary arteries. More blood gets in. More more feeding. Um, but yeah, nitric oxide, most potent vasodilator. Endothelin, on the other hand, most potent vasoconstrictor. More than angiotensin 2. Well, I would not be surprised, and somebody can correct, correct me. No, if they're having a battle. Well, like I think M- angiotensin 2 MM- works by releasing endothelin. An MMA battle. Is that the right term? 
Uh, I don't know if I've ever watched the UFC. And UFC. Like, and now we've got an MMA battle between. Um, and a pill. No, see, it, uh, see, this is the thing. Endothelin is the, the boxing glove. Okay. Right? You, so, you really ruined this for me. I'm sorry, but you can't just make up UFC analogies willy-nilly. <laughs> um, many of the vasoconstricting effects of, let's say, the sympathetic nervous system and other certain drugs often, not always obviously, but often work simply by triggering the release of endothelin. Okay. Right? So- and it's not as though it's angiotensin 2 does it one way and endothelin does it another. I wouldn't be surprised, and I, I don't know this exactly, so someone can correct me, but I wouldn't be surprised if angiotensin 2 is a vasoconstrictor through the release of endothelin. Okay. Yeah. So basically this E in this category of drugs is endothelin blockers. Right, that makes sense. I don't know how heavily it's used, Um but it seems to be beneficial in pulmonary hypertension. So this is where you would have an increase in blood pressure, but within the pulmonary circuit, which would be um, particularly problematic to put a lot of uh, pressure and strain on the right side of the heart. So whether you, so any condition that could induce a pulmonary hypertension, maybe this classification of drugs is something that's, um, entertained as a use, but it's not a big one. It's, it's not definitely not a primary um, go-to or medication line. But I just thought it, I just thought it adds another letter to the, our AVCD. It definitely does. So if we take all of these right, so the alpha one antagonists, the ACE inhibitors, the angiotensin receptor blockers, the uh, aldosterone blockers, aldosterone blockers, the beta blockers, the calcium channel antagonists, the, the no, diuretics, and endothelin. Don't forget the central actin adrenergic <laughs> agonists. <laughs> um, of all of those. Generally speaking, first-line antihypertensives, and again, it's dependent- What else have we had a USC with these? All right. You need to stop talk, thinking UFC. You've got some sort of- um, What was it with the WWF? Or E. It's WWE now, isn't it? Where they- um, Obviously have It was just it like an in-for-all with them all They're just like, having a battle. What is that called? It's like the Big Bash or something. <laughs> yeah. it's a- Remember that like you had the Undertaker come in and then the Ultimate Warrior and yeah. they just went- Hulk Hogan. Like a rumble, big rumble. Big, yeah, Royal Rumble or something, yeah, right? Yeah, something like that. So yeah, that look, this is the Royal Rumble right, of blood okay, pressure. Of blood pressure. <laughs> I'm glad we use, I'm glad we're able to sneak a <laughs> WWF from the 80s reference in. Um, what I was trying to say was that the first line antihypertensives generally of these, but again, it's patient specific, are the ACE inhibitors, the angiotensin, uh, angiotensin 2 receptor blockers, uh, the calcium channel antagonists, and the thiazide, thiazide-like diuretics. They're generally the first line. But again, uh, depending on the individual, some of these may be contraindicated because of some underlying Any condition. Issues. Or maybe there's some other issue they have which makes them worth using one over another. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the outcome is trying to drop the blood pressure, blood pressure. values. And that's the most important thing. Um, well said. Well said. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Now, the last point I'd like to put in- There's nothing after E, Michael. Uh, uh, there is, and it's N for sodium. Um, because <laughs> one way that blood pressure can be managed- I think you're is, just making this up. Is through the diet <coughs> and by oh. restricting or reducing. So I don't think we can do- Salt, it. salt tablets. Uh, no, the opposite. <laughs> okay. Don't have Damn salt man. tablets. Um, reducing salt intake. Because my goats have a salt leak. 
Should I take their blood pressure? I would like to know <laughs> if you've licked it. No. Is it literally just a big block of salt? I think so. And is it because they don't get enough sodium in their diet? It's, it's pink. Himalayan. Oh, you've yeah. gone fancy with your gut. That's, all I, can, that's all, all I can get. Is it because they don't get sodium from the grass? Good question. I really should know this. You should. But they really do like it. Yeah. But it's common, I think, in livestock, they have salt licks. I think all animals, yeah. including us, love salt. I mean, the word salary comes from the Latin word sal- sale or even Italian well, sale I, for salt. Well, my goats don't own a dime, so i got to Well, they talk do because you just paid them in salt, man. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, my point is that uh, so they, salt reduction. So they're going to have hypertension. That's what you're saying. Uh, and if you want to learn more about the salt effect in hypertension, uh, we spoke about it in the hypertension episode about people who may be salt sensitive uh, and salt sensitive hypertensive individuals and, and so forth. So anyway, look, I think we're done. It's been one hour. We've done a great job. Uh, just I think we're done with blood pressure for a while. I think so. We've done three episodes on yeah, it. Yeah, it seems um, like that's consumed us for some time. Yeah, I think my blood pressure's gone up just from <laughs> focusing on it for so long. So uh, please remember that we are providing you these podcasts for free. They're even ad-free. I don't think you've had one ad because we don't have ads maybe in the future. You want to sponsor us? Anyway, so we provide this content for free because we like doing this. And we all we expect in response uh, is for you to give us a five-star rating, thank us, say we're the best in the world, uh, you tell your friends, you create a fan club where you create all these idols that you pray. No, sorry, sorry, I get carried away. We just want you to just give us a five-star rating and say thanks uh, and tell your friends that we've helped you within your studies. That's it. That's all we expect. Um, We've also got a YouTube channel. Again, these videos are free. Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike, uh, we're very original when it comes to naming things. Uh, and you can access us on social media, predominantly me at Dr. Mike Todorovic at D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. Uh, Matt is only on Twitter and he barely uses that, which is at Dr. Bartox, D-R-B-A-R-T-O-X. Uh, it's because I get heckled a lot. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, understandably. Yeah. People don't like you. I get it. I get it. Um, anyway, uh, if you also want to vote Matt off the team, please <laughs> s- send your vote to uh, – no, you can send us an email at GU Biosciences. <laughs> to vote me off. Yeah, v- vote him off the island, <laughs> off the Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike uh, Corporation, and I will find – A replacement. A replacement. Uh, wouldn't be hard. It really wouldn't be hard. Well, it won't be hard to find somebody better. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe somebody of your caliber, Matthew – even easier. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Thank Maddie. Thank you, listeners. Enjoy yourself and um, keep that blood pressure low. Sounds good. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.